All right, welcome to Look at My Records. I'm here with Scott Klaus, right? That's your last name? Klaus? Klaus. Klaus. See, like, like a school class. See, I always mess up the pronunciation at the start of the program. So my apologies. That's okay. You made it. You made me sound more exotic than I really am. <laughs> Klaus. That, that's what I'm here for. Of the Davenports, welcome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. And the Davenports have a new album that just came out in July. Don't be mad at me. But before we get into that, I did want to ask you a couple of questions about how you got started in music, how this project started. Before we were talking, you said you relocated to New York in 1991 and you were involved in music. Since back then, you did a project with Chris from Fountains of Wayne. Mm -hmm. Just tell us a little bit about how you got your start writing and performing music in the New York City area. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been writing since I'm uh, not writing, but I've been playing since I was a, a wee tot. Yeah. Uh, my whole life. Um, and, you know, I lived, lived in Boston for a while after school and, and tried to play a little bit there, but never really got anything off the ground. And then, um, yeah, in the nineties, like you said, I moved here in the early nineties and then around about the mid nineties started to uh, just get exposed to more, you know, great songwriters like, like Chris from Fountains of Wayne, like you mentioned. Uh, we were also talking a little bit before about uh, that band Candy Butchers, which you have to check out. I will. Uh, but but he was, um, Mike Viola from Candy Butchers was the reason why um, I met Chris. And, you know, all of, all of this music is kind of of a set. It's all this sort of melodic pop, which was um, the kind of music that I always gravitated to for my, my whole life, really. You know, starting with the Beatles and then everything that sort of flowed from that. Um, and so... Um, you know, discovering a lot of this stuff in New York around around the mid '90s really, I think, um, helped fuel my own songwriting. I didn't really know how to write a song until probably the late '90s, and when I started tinkering, tinkering around with some stuff. And then by you know around about 1999, 2000, finally had enough to to put put something into a into a record. And so that's when the first Davenport's record came out. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, that that's how it all started. And who did you work with originally with the Davenports? You had a project with Chris of Founds of Wayne that dissolved or you guys just went your separate ways and then started working with other musicians on the first Davenport's record around 2000? Yeah, so so yeah, the stuff I did with, I did with Chris was, um, it actually preceded uh, Fountains. Yeah. Um, he had something called, that he called Small Town Criers. Um, that was just a demo tape that actually had a bunch of early uh, Fountains of Wayne, um, not, not demos, but early versions of some Fountains of Wayne songs. Uh, and so we were in New York playing things like Radiation Vibe, which was the first Fountains of Wayne single long before that record came out. Uh, and then he just got involved in that project. We stayed friends, but he just, you know, he got together with Adam and, you know, they did, uh, they did their thing. And um, I sort of went my own way and, and, and worked on my thing. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I started the, uh, the Davenport's is really, it was never like a band band. It was always just sort of my project and continues to be my project. But what I did was bring together really great musicians that I, that I met and knew in New York. Uh, so some guys like, uh, my dear friend, Danny Weinkoff, who plays in They Might Be Giants. Uh, he's the bass player in They Might Be Giants. Um, he, he's, uh, a good friend since the mid nineties. And so he came on and played bass, um, and I had this guy, Todd Falsham, who was in Candy Butchers, that Mike Viola band that I was telling you about. 
um, he played drums on the first record. So the first record was really just me, Danny, and Todd. Uh, and then an, another good friend of a mutual friend of mine and Chris's, this guy Sam McElvain, uh, played guitar. Um, and so that was the sort of assemblage of people for uh, speaking of the Davenports, which was the first record. Uh, but it really got off the ground because I, I met Danny actually introduced me to this guy, Charles Newman, who is the head of uh, Mother West Records. So that's the indie record label that I've been on since then and continue to put all my my music out on. Um, and so Charles functioned as, as sort of a, a half a, a, you know, a producer, half a, a label guy, and um, also uh, someone who's helped me license stuff and get stuff out into market, too. So he's been a real partner through this, through, uh, this project as well. And it's been a project that's been ongoing for almost 20 years now. So that's definitely a long time. Yeah. And you have said before that it operates as a bit of a collective. So there's been sort of a rotating cast. Have there been any permanent members really over the past two decades? Or do you like to work with uh, different players on each album or release? Yeah, there are a couple of people that, that lasted for quite a while. Um, so um, I play with a drummer uh, whose name is Rob Draggy, uh, who does, uh, does a lot of cool projects uh, around New York. So he, I mean, he's been on and off with me probably for, I don't know, 14 years or so. Uh, so he's the, the more regular, when there is a regular band thing to do, then Rob is the drummer. Um, I had a different bass player for, for a decade or so who's since moved to, to Los Angeles. Um, and um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been so regular, but, but there have been certain guys who have hung with it for quite a while. There's another good friend of mine, uh, this guy, Dan Miller, who also plays in They Might Be Giants. Um, he's the guitar player. Uh, and those guys have been with that band for, I don't know, around probably 17, 18 years. Wow. Uh, and they're sort of, they're, you know, living a, living a great life with the band that never seems to get old. <laughs> um, they don't stop. Yeah. But Dan Miller and I grew, grew up together in Rochester and we both went to, we went to college together. We went to Brandeis University in Waltham. Uh, so he and I have been playing together since senior year of high school. Uh, so anytime I need um, the kind of rock guitar mastery, I call on Dan. Uh, and he, um, he contributed a bunch of stuff to this, this current record as well. Oh, that's great. And how do you like that? Playing and writing your own songs and then working with different musicians. How do you compare that to being in a proper band where maybe you have other members contributing ideas to songwriting. This seems more, you're definitely the primary songwriter calling the shot. So it's yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, no, it is different. Um, you know, I think it's kind of a, it's sort of a mixed blessing. I think um, there have been times when I've definitely wanted um, some, I, I would have loved to be in more of a band, band where it is more, more of a, a you know, everyone contributing stuff and, um, everyone having the sort of same skin in the game that, that I have. And, and there's obviously a lot of beauty that comes from working with other like-minded people. And I think, uh, you know, in the other band that I play in right now that I was telling you about with, with Chris Collingwood, which is called Look Park, um, while Chris writes all that stuff, um, you know, the three of us in that band do sort of collaborate on arrangements and harmonies and stuff. Uh, and it's, it's, it can be really, really amazing when we, when we, when we do that. Um, so, there are times when I when I long for that in, in the Davenports. You know, on the other hand, um, 
doing it all myself allows me to be sort of selfish yeah. and, and, and sort of if I have this very particular idea in my head, which I often do, I can just kind of, I can do that and, um, and get down what I, you know, what I think I, I, I really want. And none of that's to say that, um, you know, the musicians who play certainly contribute a lot of themselves to the recordings, right? It's not like I say, you know, they come in and I'm like, do this. I might have some general guidelines about, you know, I, you know, I thought it might, this might be cool or whatever, uh, but they're all fantastic musicians, so they take it and run with it and, and make it their own. And so, fourth album now, Don't Be Mad At Me. 20 years, you've been performing as the Davenports. How would you say your songwriting has evolved and your process over the course of the last 20 years? I mean, hopefully it's gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, the irony is, um, the, the, you know, the, I, if, if I have a, a quote-unquote hit, uh, I think it's, the, the, there's a song on my first record that closes out my first record uh, that's called Five Steps, which was um, a song that was licensed by this television show called Intervention, mm-hmm. uh, which has been the theme song for, the, for that A&E show for, you know, as long as the show has been on the air, but probably 15 years, if not more. Um, so if, you know, if there's any sort of wider, um, you know, sense of it being known, it's because of that song. Uh, and that song, you know, it's 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 a cool song, but literally the recording process was I was sitting on my friend's bed in his apartment in the West Village, and um, he had you know a, a format that's now I believe obsolete, but it was a mini disc four track <laughs> um, that was you know just this weird thing that just just doesn't exist anymore, and and we recorded it on his bed with the mini disc four track, and uh, you know it's it's a very sloppy recording, but it, it served the purpose. Like there's something about it that resonated for that show outside of the fact that it was called Five Steps, so they sort of interpreted it as like some sort of five-step you know, rehabilitation program, which yeah. was not what it was about yeah. at all. Because uh, I've listened to that song, and I've yeah. thought, I don't really connect the two. No. Well, that's interesting to hear it straight from you. Yeah, no, the, no, that was actually, the song was, it was just a reference to my wife and I, if, if we ever got in a fight, that was kind of how we would resolve the fight, just by sort of stepping away from each other. Yeah. And so that's what it's about. Uh, but, you know, they interpreted it their way and it worked for the show and more power to them. But, um, you know, so, so that's that's still the, the biggest thing. But, you know, the, the process is really not that much different than when I started. I mean, um, you know, I think it's evident by the fact that I've only put out four records that these things take a while. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm not like one of those songwriters who just, you know, churns shit out constantly and, and, and can spew out a song at, at, the, at the drop of a hat. I mean, some of them come quickly, but some of them I labor over for years, um, including the title song from this new record, Don't Be Mad At Me, um, was a song that the tune, that, that piano riff had been around for, oh, probably three years before I actually turned it into a song. Um, so... I, you know, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's, it's sometimes I just labor and the right sort of thing happens and, you know, it, it, I just find it. It turns into a song. And you enlisted Shirley Sims of the magnetic field. Um, so she does lead vocals on Miranda in her room. Uh-huh. And how did you enlist her to do that? Because it seems like it is the first song where you're not singing lead vocals on it. And it is your project too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. It was the very first one that, that someone other than me sang, which I was thankful for. Um, she, so Charles, like I was tell, telling you about who runs the label, um, also produces Magnetic Fields. Um, he's produced a bunch of their records. So he's tight with Stephen Merritt, who's the, you know, the yeah. sort of lord of that project. 
and uh, has worked with them quite a bit. So Charles and I were sort of brainstorming because I wrote that song deliberately to be a duet with a male and female voice. Um, we were just trying to think of who might be right for it. And um, we brainstormed a bunch of a bunch of different people. And um, I had heard uh, heard her quite a bit, and I really just loved the quality of her voice. It had um, it it almost remind, reminded me a little bit of. Do you know who Kirsty McCall was? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it had kind of that a uh, Kirsty McCall sort of uh, throaty quality to it, a breathy throaty quality to it that I really really loved, and I, I loved Kirsty. Um, so uh, and since Charles produced them and he knew her, he was like, let me ask ask Shirley. So he did, and she was she was totally game to do it. Um, I never met her in person. She oh, she lives in Boston. Yeah. That was probably your next question. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah she um, she did her her stuff at um, there's a famous studio in Boston. I think it's called Q Division or something like that. Uh, so she we just you know sent her the tracks and she did uh, four or five takes and different variations. And I just sort of gave her a little direction of what I was after, like a little bit of country twang because it's kind of a quasi country song. And she just, you know, absolutely nailed it. I just really love her voice. Um, yeah, so that's how that came about, and I just harmonized with her. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I Thank would, you. That was probably my favorite on the record. Oh, I really thanks like a lot. It a lot. Thanks. Thank you. And another question about the new record. There's a couple of songs, topics, lyrical topics seem to be really personal. Yeah. Let's, hand, let's, let's Hang Elena. It's about your late mother, and Don't Be Mad at Me touches on the subject of your aunt dealing with mm -hmm. dementia. Mm -hmm. um, that must be difficult to kind of put those topics out there for everybody to hear about or for you to perform them. How does it feel? Is it therapeutic? Do you have difficulty performing songs like that sometimes? Or is it more natural for you? No, there's no difficulty performing them at all. Yeah. I, I think... Um, it's, you know, I, th I think in the writing process, it's probably a little yeah. bit more like where, where you sort of feel that because you're, you're kind of digging in to, um, to help write the song. Uh, but no, it, it, they just become, while they're, they're based on sort of hard, you know, moments in, in my past, um, when it becomes the exercise of writing a song and turning it into pop music, especially with uh, yeah, um, Don't Be Mad at Me, which is really a pop song. Yeah. It's sort of a, it's kind of a bubbly sort of piano driven pop song. Um, then it just becomes about the crafting of the song and what, what works right. So I'm, I'm not constantly hearkening back to those memories. I think, um, you know, it just, it just becomes something, uh, something different, but, um, it sort of makes me happy that I would, that I'm able to take those moments and turn them into something that, um, that I like and that people are listening to and they're responding to. So it's, it's, you know, it stops being, it stops being painful. I think it just becomes more about, you know, uh, crafting it, crafting it into something, you know, productive and ultimately happy. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I definitely want to play a couple of songs for everyone to hear from the new record. Yeah. So Do where, where shall we hang Elena? First song we're gonna play <laughs> and then don't be mad at me and i don't know what to do and i would love to play the the duet miranda in her room as well fantastic it's a wonderful wonderful song all four are off the brand new davenport's record don't be mad at me just released in july last month so anything you'd like to say about these songs before we play them um well, I don't know. That's a pretty open-ended question. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, if you 
if you enjoy pop music, um, then hopefully you all will like them. There you go. Here we go. Enjoy.
Welcome back. We just heard four beautiful songs from the Davenport's brand new record. Where can people get that? Amazon? Is it available on CD? Yeah, all the all the usual places. Actually, what's interesting is that I had never made vinyl before this record. Uh, so it, it took me 18 years to <laughs> and, and four <laughs> records to finally do one on vinyl. We just um, 
we just decided it, it was time. Uh, so yeah, you can uh, certainly Amazon and all the digital stuff. And if you go to our website, it's the Davenport's NYC com. You can get all your buy links that way as well. Awesome. And yeah. it's available digital download through your website too? Or? Uh-huh. Awesome. Yep. The whole so thing. there you go. Davenport's NYC. Right on. Dot NYC or NYC? Uh, all one thing. The da- Davenport's NYC. Dot com? Yep. All right. There you go. Davenport's NYC dot com is where you can get the brand new Davenport's record and previous records too. Yep. You can get it all. Get it all. Get, get the whole discography. It's a website. It's, <laughs> it's a website. It has stuff. Stuff that you can buy with your money. <laughs> but um, before we go to the next part of the program, I did want to ask you, because we were talking off off the record, I guess. <laughs> How do you feel about the power pop label as a genre? Because you have been identified as a power pop artist, I yeah, would say. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't get my back up when I, when I get categorized that way, but you know, I think it's a little, uh, I don't, I don't know what the best way to put it is. It's silly is not, is not the is necessarily the right word for it, but, um, I don't really believe, um, I think that it can be uh, something that sort of becomes like the stereotypical thing that a lot of bands um, strive for and when they do uh, struggle too hard it's sort of put in the, the the typical trappings of power pop like the jangly arpeggiated guitar and the you know the tambourine comes in on the second chorus like I mean there's just this there's a there's a there's a standard format that has become power pop that the originators of it, you know, they, they didn't know from power pop. I mean, if you, you know, Big Star and Cheap Trick and and Badfinger and, and bands like that, you know, they were making rock and roll that was melodic. There was not, it was it wasn't called power pop back then. Um, so I, I think that a lot of bands today can can just just get too extreme and sort of almost sort of bastardize the form a little bit. And when they and when you're playing too hard to a form, it's like, well, it has to have X, Y, and Z. Then it stops being just about making yeah. good melodic music. So I, I never call it that personally. I, I think it's, you know, I call it melodic pop rock music. You know, that's, that's what it is. And so everyone, I will never label you a power <laughs> pop artist ever again. It wouldn't hurt my feelings, but okay. You got it. Okay. Now that's my that. promise. All right. But, All right. So let's, no, no offense to the power pop lovers out there. Yeah, no offense. I'm in like a Facebook group called Power Pop. Yeah, so I'm in all those I two. wonder what they would think. I don't think they'd care. It's like it's I'm, all I'm good. biting the hand that feeds. Yeah. You got you to gotta keep up with the events and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, we're moving on to the second portion. You pick some records from my collection and we're going to play them. We're going to talk about them. Right on. First up, we've got... The Smithereens' first ever record, a great one, especially for you, and you picked the song Behind the Wall of Sleep. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I loved The Smithereens when I was growing up, and that was probably, you know, in the, in the, this is the early days of MTV, um, and that was probably the first song that I, that I heard, the song that introduced me to The Smithereens. Um, and, you know, similar conversation to what we were just having, like, I just look at them as a great rock band, a great melodic rock band. Um, and so there's that. And then, you know, the other thing is, we were discussing before, I had the honor of um, playing a show recently recently 
not as part of the Davenports, but in the other band, Look Park, with Chris Collingwood, uh, we opened up for Dave Davies of the Kinks in in New Jersey, in Montclair, New Jersey. There's this uh, concert series called Outpost in the Burbs. Yeah. Uh, and they, I think they, they have many, but not all of their events in this old church in Montclair, which is lovely. Uh, so we were, uh, super fortunate to be able to open up for Dave Davies and, uh, Dennis Dyken was his drummer, uh, is, and is, I think still currently on tour with, with Dave, uh, and Dennis Dyken was the drummer from the Smithereens. So I got to meet him and, uh, you know, we, we had dinner and like chatted a little bit and talked about, um, you know, how sad we all were about Pat's Pat. recent passing and, um, and what the Smithereens were doing, you know, going forward, as you said, um, they're bringing in a bunch of guest vocalists, uh, and they, they brought in Marshall Crenshaw and, you know, I don't know if he's going to be, uh, more of a permanent fixture or, or if they're just going to keep rotating guys around, but I think it's a great idea because it sort of keeps that music alive. It is a good idea. And you don't see bands often do that if the vocalist passes away it seems that's kind of it yeah but it is a nice way to pay tribute to oh, yeah. the the lead singer and the band as a whole sure sure and picking someone like marshall crenshaw is is, is relevant in many ways right? yeah but, i mean he was of the same era and and um you know they were sort of of a set i think um you know, the Marshall stuff is maybe not quite as, you know, quite as aggressively rocky as the Smithereen stuff, but um, uh, but a, but a good choice. And I, yeah, I think it's great that they did that. I think it's mostly about just knowing that people still love that music and they don't want to think of it as being over. Um, and so that's that's a great way to keep it alive. And how did it feel opening playing with someone like Dave Davies? I assume you probably were a big Kinks fan huge. growing yeah. up, huge yeah. and. They're an incredible band, legendary band. That must have been a thrill for you. Oh, uh, uh, just an incredible, incredible thrill. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I heard that we were, we, we got to do it. Uh, and total sweetheart of a guy too, like really, really welcoming uh, to the extent that he invited us up to do a song with him. Encore? Uh, um, no, it was like right in the middle oh, of his wow. set. Uh, he just, he brought us up, me and, he brought me and Chris up. Um, we did uh, a song called uh, Too Much On My Mind, which is a great old King song. Yeah. And um, I, got to, I got to sing harmony on, uh, on the choruses with him. So Chris actually took a verse, uh, and I did um, high harmony on, on the choruses. Wow. And it was, I was just, you know, it was just sort of an out-of-body experience, like standing <laughs> next to <laughs> Dave Davies doing that. And it was uh, just really, really mind-boggling. Um, but just so welcoming, like no attitude at all. It's a really sweetheart of a guy. And, um, yeah, it was incredible. Always good to meet someone you look up to oh, and yeah. they're a nice person. Absolutely. Wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. But this actually transitions perfectly into your second pick, which was the classic Kinks album, Village Green Preservation Society. We are the Village Green Preservation Society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what song did you want to hear off of this record? Um... I thought that um, we would play um, Picture Book. Awesome. Um, yes, it's, it's um, you know, one of the songs that ever, ever since I heard it, I just sort of fell in love with it. Um, but there's, there's, outside of the story that I just told about, you know, being, you know, being able to open up for Dave Davies and all that, um, the second song on, on my record is a song called I Don't Know What To Do, which, which you just played. Um, and I actually, I'll, I'll just, 
be perfectly straightforward, I was strongly influenced by the riff, the guitar riff of Picture Book. Uh, that's, I just fell in love with that song. I, I loved it when I was a kid, but then I rediscovered it recently and was just, I just loved that, that riff. And um, I just decided one day uh, over the past year or two that I just wanted to write a, that kind of a riff. And so the guitar riff for I Don't Know, I don't know What To Do is, um, is based on that, is based on that. And that became uh, this, the second song on my record. Very cool. Yeah. And so we're going to hear that song, Picture Book. Right after that, we're going to hear some Billy Bragg. Yeah. Love Billy. Which record did you pull out by Billy Bragg? Um, we picked out uh, Talking to the Taxman about poetry, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I chose this one. I mean, first of all, I just I just love Billy Bragg for, for myriad reasons. Um, um, I, I equally could have picked um, a New England. That's, that's uh, a great song. And you and I were talking a little bit earlier about Kirsty McCall. She, um, she wrote that, I guess. I, I forget actually... One of, one of them wrote it and one of them covered it and I'm forgetting who started with who and uh, the, the real music lovers out there will, will kill me for that but anyway they both did it one of them wrote it I think I think Kirsty wrote it yeah um, but I've always been a huge uh, Billy Bragg fan and um, I guess I chose I chose Billy because you know I, I'm not one to sort of spout off too much about politics but in the in the era that we're living through right now um Every time I sort of think of sort of a musical remedy to the to what we're going through right now, my head automatically goes to Billy Bragg for the obvious reasons. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to play "There's Power in a Union." I mean, that that to me is just that sort of liberal you know rallying cry, right? I mean, there's there's so many songs across his his catalog that that are that thing, um, and um, it just feels almost like medicine. Right to listen to, to Billy Bragg, that sort of just honest, just like cutting through the bullshit, and um, you know, especially just again considering what we're all going through in the in the age of Trump right now. Um, so yeah, the medicine of Billy Bragg. I hope that medicine goes down smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> it will because we're going to enjoy listening to that song. Yeah, but it is a tough time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we we have we have music like that to, to yeah. make it a little bit better. Exactly, help get us through. All right, and the last pick. This album, a little more recently released than the other picks, Mac DeMarco's mini album. It's called, it was released as a mini LP. I think it's like eight songs, nine songs. So a mm-hmm. little, little longer than an EP, not quite an LP. Another one. Mm-hmm. And what song did, did you pick? I'm trying to remember. Another one. You picked the title track, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't want to be the old fogey that chose everything from <laughs> like decades ago. Um, but no, more than that, um, I, I, I really like Mac, but the, the, this particular song, this was the first song of his that I heard. There's a funny video that goes along with it too, where he's sort of like moving in slow motion on a beach and you know, he's, he's, he's an odd fellow. Um, but, and, and the music is sort of, has its own unique, um, odd sort of quality to it. A lot of it has, there's, there's sort of this consistent sort of warble thing that he does a lot with a lot of the guitars and the keyboards. And you hear it a lot on this song, the sort of warbly keyboard. Um, but I think what strikes me about this is that at its core, it's, it's still a really beautifully, um, melodic pop song with sort of just a great, um, 
chord chord structure, like just the, the, the feel and the movement of the song and sort of how, how the chords are arranged almost reminds me of like a Fleetwood Mac song yeah. from like a, like a Tusk era Fleetwood Mac song. Like you could have very easily heard um, this, this could be like a Lindsey Buckingham or Christine McVie kind of melody and structure. Um, so just slightly tweaked, you, you, you could have heard it on Tusk in 1979. Yeah. And I believe he's spoken about being influenced directly by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, so is that's that right? spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like more and more artists are very influenced by Fleetwood Mac. You can hear it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the people who don't really know it go right to the hits and they're like, oh, they roll their eyes and like, you know, don't stop and go your own way, which I think are brilliant, Great brilliant, brilliant songs. But the, the, that very poppy top 10 stuff, um, you know, I, I won't be the first person to say if you listen to listen to the Tusk record in particular, uh, when it got a little bit more offbeat and Lindsey Buckingham had free reign to sort of get get a little crazy. It's just really, really brilliant stuff. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it never lost its um, melodicism and and brilliant writing, but but it challenged listeners a lot more. Um, and you, you know, you probably know the, you know the story. Like that record came right after Rumors. Rumors, one of the biggest rec- pop yeah. records of all time. Uh, and then when they came out with Tusk, you know, people put it on and they were like, what? Like they, they didn't get what was going on. Um, it has like 40 songs on it or something like that. And um, uh, much more of a challenging record. So a lot of the sort of middle of the road pop listeners were, you know, kind of rejected a little bit, but hugely, hugely uh, ambitious and, and influential and, and a beautiful record. And I'm not surprised that a lot of people are sort of rediscovering its its power now. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, you made some excellent picks, Scott, and Thank we're going to play them right now. Starting off with the Smithereens, followed by the Kinks, Billy Bragg to get a little political, wrapping it up with Mac DeMarco. Enjoy, everyone. I'm 
seas we must pipe all From the cities and the farmlands to trenches full of mud War has always been the bosses wiser
Scott, excellent picks. You have great taste in music. Congratulations. Thanks, I like your collection. Thank you. <laughs> We're just thanking each other right now. Thank you for appearing on the program. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Just to remind everyone again, you can get the brand new Davenport's album at the Davenport's website. It's called Don't Be Mad at Me, and you can get it at www.thedavenportsnyc.com Anything else you'd like to share? You have any gigs coming up? Any other plans for the rest of the year? Uh, yeah, there's some there's some cool things coming up. Um, there's a Look Park show, so I talked a little bit about the other band, Look Park. We're doing a thing on, um, uh, on October 8th, which is Columbus Day. Um, a thing with uh, the famous Irish poet Paul Muldoon. Um, so that's uh, that'll be coming up. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's a Look Park show. Uh, and then the Davenports, um, we're going to start putting more things on the calendar, but one thing I know right now, November 15th, um, at um, one of the city winery, uh, the New York City City Winery Outposts. Um, this is the one that's it's on the water, and I'm, I'm forgetting what the actual name of the venue is but if you go to city winery it's it's not the loft and it's not the main one but it's the one on the water um so people can figure that out but we'll, we'll be doing that on november 15th uh and some cool recording projects coming up as well so i've done a bunch of compilation records um produced by this guy named andrew curry uh, he did some. He, he did one that was uh, the sort of soft hits of the '70s and hits of the '80s, and we did a James Bond covers record. Uh, so his fourth one um, is going to be the songs of Paul Williams, the famous songwriter uh, and sometime actor and president of ASCAP, Paul Williams. Uh, so I'll be doing a track for that, covering Barbara Streisand's Evergreen, which should be fun. Wonderful. <laughs> Okay, so I thought maybe we could finish with a Look Park song to send everyone off. Yeah. And you played a cover song for a James Bond compilation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the songs of 007. Uh, we did a cover of uh, The World Is Not Enough. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it came out, it came out really well. We recorded it up, up in Northampton and um, part of that, uh, that excellent compilation. So, yeah, really cool. All right, so we'll close off the show with Look Park's cover of The World Is Not Enough. Thank you very much for being here with me, Scott. Such it a was pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah, mine too. Thank and you. And everyone, you can go check the Davenports out at those gigs and Look Park as well. Enjoy this awesome cover of The World Is Not Enough. Mm-hmm.